What's up, everyone? This is Brad from Lesson 3, and you're listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio. Welcome back, Minions, to the one and only Misery Point Radio, or as I like to say, your broken home away from your other broken home. As always, I appreciate you stumbling around in the darkness and risking your lives and your reputations to join me here in the wasteland, as this particular show is known. That's right, for those not in the know, Misery Point Radio is, of course, the radio station from little old Port Orchard, Washington, playing the best in established and unsigned acts in metal, rock, punk and Americana and this show once simply just a tiny music based podcast now broadcast worldwide in our continuing mission to purge the airwaves of all that doth suck and speaking of not sucking today my friends I am stoked because joining me live in studio once again is my good friend Mr. Bradley Miranda from Seattle pop punk outfit less than three for those who don't or don't want to remember Brad was actually on a couple years back when he was getting less than three off the ground again after a long hiatus. He had put together a new lineup and released a six-song EP called Say No to the Suits, which was an absolute beast of power pop awesomeness. This time, he's back with a new record contract, a re-released single, an absolutely badass retro game-inspired video, and of course, some killer stories about what he was doing during COVID, how he managed to land a deal with the legendary Curtain Call Records, his in-your-face yet simple approach to songwriting, and of course, his thoughts on the music business. There is a ton of cool stuff in here that aspiring artists should really pay attention to. Some great advice, some lessons learned, some industry insights, and of course, some completely random rabbit holes that I know you all love so deeply. And that's why I love you all so deeply. So, kick off those Chuck Taylors, grab yourself an organic yerba mate, and check out this pile of Pacific Northwest awesomeness. Here we go. Brad, welcome back to the show, brother. Absolutely stoked to have you back here in studio. It's been way too long, man. Yeah, dude. It's I can't even remember. When was the last time we did an episode? So I was going back and doing my nerdy shit and digging through the last time we were we were talking, and it was October of 2019, so about four years ago. So before the virus. Before the virus and before the fall of mankind and before the world turned into a real life uh, Last of Us and Walking Dead. So that was uh, <laughs> that was that. the last time that we, that we had you on. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I can't even, you know, it seems like a blur of all the stuff that's happened since then. Yeah. Um, because when that was at 2019, that's when we kind of got less than three back together. Um, I don't know if I said this before, but less than three started about 15 years ago. And right. We took a break or the band took a break because I started getting into producing and recording bands. And then we got back together. We were building steam and then the virus hit and then we weren't playing shows after that. So, yeah, you know, it was crazy because, you know, when when we sat down, there was some massive momentum and it was just like all of this stuff was happening and things were you were doing some releases and you had stuff coming out and there were some shows booked and there was a new press and all this kind of stuff. And then just all of a sudden, boom, it just was, it was just a few months later that everything, you know, kind of shut down. So. Now, 
last time you were here, I remember uh, Kyle Miller was yep. a part of the project, and yep. he has since moved on from that. Uh-huh. Um, now your brother Brian is still he's playing bass for us. Yeah. Okay, is is live. it in a live performance and just studio wise? It kind of depends. Like so, there's a song that he did that he played bass, and then there are other songs that I play bass on. I never wanted less than three to just be only me. So like if I wanted friends involved, then, you know, if if the timing is right, we'll do it. Uh, Kyle was he lives in Seattle and obviously we're in Port Orchard. So I, you know, the the distance to actually meet up and practice was just way too difficult for him. I I don't know if that's the actual reason why he left. I know he was involved in a lot of music projects, so it could have been overwhelming. But he and I are are, are still cool. So it's not like any bad blood between us. Awesome. Yeah, he was here um, with Pathways. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, I love that band. Yeah, those guys are phenomenal. They did. They did have some some cool stuff. And so. uh, So, yeah, it's definitely cool. I'm glad to hear that you guys are uh, are still still on good terms there. So. Over then the last couple of years, you know, we'll talk about all the cool new stuff that you have kind of uh, in the works right now. But so what were you guys doing? I mean, did you did you just take a break as a band all together? Did you put the project on hold and work on other stuff or uh, during the virus? Yeah. The pandemic. Yeah. So when that hit, we just to kind of back up a little, we could play pretty much any small venue. So we played El Corazon. We played the High Dive. We played all these cool places in Seattle. And, uh, you know, all those people who did all the booking don't exist anymore. So we're, we're restarting everything again. So I got to go play, let's play some of the smaller shows and, and build a fan base again. But during that time, uh, there was two things that I wanted to do. One, I wanted to keep writing music because I was already at home. I have a home studio. Right. So I wrote as many songs as I could. And then I just played a ton of video games. And <laughs> that's, like I, I, I played like the old Final Fantasy games. I play I bought a gaming PC. I wanted to build a computer. So I did a bunch of stuff. And as you know, with the exception of everyone like dying from the virus, it was it was a vacation because um, <laughs> I literally like did all of the hobbies that I wanted to do. And and uh, so I was like I was in a good uh, state of mind to actually write stuff and, and feel inspired. So I don't think it was like a, a waste of time for the band or we went on hold or anything like that. It was just time for me to focus solely on making music, obviously doing Instagram covers, which is uh, my easiest way to generate uh, views and interest into what I do. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it last time you're here, but you did have that that Green Day cover that, uh, that Billy Joe uh, liked and shared around the world 50 million times. Yeah, well, so that is how all of this started. It may have not been the direction that uh, the way that I went because I spoke to various labels, various managers throughout that time period. But, um, you know, I, I love that he boosted the music, but I always promised myself that I wouldn't take a deal or I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't take an offer unless I felt right. Yeah. And even if even if someone promised me like, you know, a million dollars or even fame or whatever it was, I wouldn't take a deal unless I felt like it was right for myself. Cause those are the things that I didn't, I never cared about. Sure. Um, so yeah, Billy, Billy helped a lot, but, um, you know, he, he I don't even think he remembered that he did that. It's the <laughs> coolest thing for me cause I love green day. Right. But you know, it's just one of those things that I got lucky with and, and got the attention that I needed, um, for the band, uh, really. So, yeah, no, that, that was super cool. And, and it's always great. Cause I, I know that you're a huge fucking green day fangirl that Dude, you know <laughs> I can I know their songs better than than I can play my own so yeah, yeah. absolutely and and uh it, to me it felt like I got approval from the rock gods like yeah. I felt like 
I didn't need anyone else to tell me that I was good at what I do. And I, I really don't think that I'm that great of a guitarist. Like, I, I, I can play chords, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not Slash. <laughs> You're so, not a shredder. I'm not a shredder, so. Yeah. Well, I, I also worth noting, though, for the, for those of you that aren't, aren't familiar with, with uh, Brad here, is he is very well-rounded in all aspects of production. So he does audio, he does video and he just, he edits everything himself, records everything himself and, and, and just really assembles everything himself. So when you see something from Brad for the most part on social media or in, in, in terms of recording land, most of that is done pretty much by you with some other people that you bring in after Um, the fact. Generally, the reason why I did it was to save money because we don't have any money. So (laughs) because you're musicians. Well, yeah. And so like when it came to video stuff, uh, you know, I would just go on YouTube and like, how do you frame something? How do you set up a camera? How do you get um, or how do you sync audio with video? So there's so much stuff on YouTube now that you can learn about anything. Right now, I'm learning about uh, Spotify for artists. So if you're trying to market your music, there's free content that Spotify's putting out and they have these interviews with like managers, PR people, record label people, and you can learn so much from that. The sad part is the industry that I always wanted to be a part of, which was probably the early 2000s when pop punk was considered uh, like top 40. Right. So you had like some 41, Simple Plan, Green Day, Blink-182, all of those things. That era is so significantly different from what I am in right now. And the sad part is that um, it's all about views and numbers. And I'm more than happy to talk about that. It's boring in my opinion, but it's it, it kind of just shows like the whole A&R process, the discovering talent thing. Right. You got to have the numbers before you're even considered. Now, my numbers aren't great at compared to some of these bigger, like, for example, TikTok stars or Instagram stars. But it was enough to get professional industry people interested into my music. And it was it was kind of like an audition. So it was like, um, OK, we think your covers are good. Can you write songs? So it was never the like my content that I created first. It was always cover songs. So uh, luckily, I they thought my songs were great, and they, as in managers, record label people, they thought it was great, and and that's kind of how I landed with Curtain Call. Cool. That's a great segue then, because I, yeah. I definitely wanted to ask you about that. So the process of you kind of shopping around for labels or generating interest, did you have an idea that you wanted to go for certain labels or did you just kind of make content and just do the best that you could possibly do and hope that people found it? That's a good question because I knew exactly what I wanted. I think that's the most important thing as a musician is to know exactly what you want. Um, So what I wanted in a deal was I didn't care about an advance. So generally you get a, a, a check written up front right. to record music. Which well, you then have re- to pay back. Which they have to pay back. So I didn't need that because I already produced bands on the side. So what I wanted was to be under uh, some sort of major uh, label umbrella. So under Curtain Call Records, it's an indie label, but The Orchard, which is owned by Sony Music, right. they're the ones who do my distribution. So I got really lucky with that because I actually wanted to be on The Orchard. That was one reason why I wanted to be on Curtain Call. And then the other thing was, um, you know, I just needed a way to promote our music, which is what Curtain Call is doing right now. Um, I, you know, the entire team there has been so supportive and I love that they don't BS with me. They told me straight like, you know, your numbers aren't as good as any other band that's doing well. Like we don't have 100,000 views, but we're definitely getting that push. So 
Um, for example, like Demons, when I, I released it independently, you got like 20 listens, you know, <laughs> like like that's just what it was. Right. And so when we re-release it through Curtain Call, um, you know, our music video is at like 2000 views. So we just have that support team. And I, I think that uh, musicians shouldn't be so uh, infatuated with record record deals but having a good support team who can push that music. And um, obviously Rock Rage Radio, which is a huge radio station, uh, or I should say radio network, uh, is pushing demons right now. I'm on way more Spotify playlists that I can keep track of, which is amazing. And it's just to expand our audience. And I hope that we can continue to grow uh, you know, our local fan base. And then hopefully go national like that's the idea. But I, I don't necessarily feel like I've won the lottery or anything like that. I just feel like I have a good support team to push the music that I write. It's really funny that you bring that up because always musicians have it in their head when they're young. Like I just have to get signed. I just have to get signed. And then they'll sign with, you know, Bob's underground record label or, or some. That's, some <laughs> yeah, and that's where mistakes happen. <laughs> yeah, right? and then, so. you know, they don't get distribution or they don't get support or they don't get advertising or they don't get networking. And it's like, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to print you a few CDs and we're going to call it good. Yeah. So, you know, finding a record label that actually puts in the work is is definitely critical. How then was that mechanism? How did Curtain Call come across your stuff or contact you or how did that relationship officially begin? So um, I was talking with another big label. I, I probably shouldn't say their name. I can tell you off the podcast. <laughs> but I don't want to ruin <laughs> names here. But I was talking with a, a, a fairly big uh, Nashville label and um, I know they're probably watching what I'm doing And Curtain now. Call's Nashville-based too, aren't they? They're from Florida. Oh, okay. I'm I thought off. they were from Nashville. Um, oh, no, I thought they were from Nashville. I thought all labels were from Nashville because <laughs> that's that's just where music is. But no, I think they're located in Florida. Um, but yeah, so uh, my buddy Jesse called me up and he's like, hey, you know, do, are you still working with that other label? I'm like, I haven't officially signed anything yet. And so he just passed it off to Nick, who's with Grind Lifestyle. Uh, they had their management company, and then he gave it to John, who is with Curtain Call, and Gigi. They're a great, great couple and great uh, supportive of the band. Gigi, like Gigi, Gigi Allen? Yeah, except it's not spelled like that. <laughs> and she's not, I, I don't think she's like Gigi Allen. God, I hope not. Um, no, she's very sweet, very nice, very, and loves the music, which is awesome. And that's really how it came down. Um, I had an attorney, like an actual uh, entertainment lawyer, not my uncle who does <laughs> my cousin practice, Vinny yeah or anything like that like that is the the key thing I think for any small bands that are listening like all the money you make save to pay an entertainment lawyer because they're going to protect you and that and they have or at least my attorney has um but yeah that's really what it came down to and so we they they made me an offer and my attorney looked it over and uh, there was nothing sketchy. Like I can't, I, I don't want to talk about the details of it because it's between me and the label, but there was nothing in there that was to make, make me fail or make a ton of money for someone else. Like it was just, you know, Hey, we're, we're a label. We want to put what we think is good music out. And, um, and that was it. And I needed that support structure. And, uh, when demons released, I saw that and they, and they delivered, you know, I was tagged on so many different radio stations. I heard my song on radio, which mm -hmm. was like the weirdest thing in the world. Cause you know, I spent, uh, I probably spent like six hours recording demons and then you, you know, you, 
listening through like Pro Tools and then it's just like distributed everywhere. And so, yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird feeling. Like I always say, like I, I don't feel like I've won the lottery, but I, I feel like I have a great support team. And I keep saying that because that is the most critical thing as a musician is you got to have that support team. And if if anyone on that team is somebody you don't trust, it's like, you know, the whole thing falls apart, could ruin your career even. And so right now I feel like we're on the up. We're, we're going up in um, just like getting out there. That's the most important thing in creating a community. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I love where it's going right now. And, and uh, we'll just have to kind of see how it turns out after a few months, see how that single does. Sure. Now you officially signed with them as of just a couple uh, it was, of months I think ago, it was right? Like March. Yeah. Yeah. It was so. March. And they were like, I had a phone call with, uh, with the team and they were like, what song do you want to push? I was like, uh, if I'm a betting man, demons would be it, you know? And they were like, okay. So it wasn't even like a creative control thing. That was some of the other labels that I was talking to. It's like, yeah, we don't like that. We want you to go in this direction. And I was not cool with that because it's like, find someone who who wants to just be famous. And and for music, for me, like I, I don't ever expect to make any money from it. You know, it's, it's just like any other musician. We just have fun. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this band for a really long time and I do not feel like we've made a profit right now. Uh, hopefully that eventually changes, but that was never the goal. We were never like, we want to make a lot of money. And I think once it stops being fun for me, that's probably when I would stop wanting to do less than three. Yeah, man. I talk to a lot of people now and the general consensus I get from my friends or contacts or, or, you know, associates in the industry who have labels and who do go on shows and who go on tours and have support. And they all say the same thing. When it stops being fun, I'm out because there is an unfortunate element that at the end of the day, touring and promotions and record contracts and studios, I mean, it's all a business at some point, 100%, somebody, yeah. somebody involved in the process still has to keep the lights on and the knobs and the lights glowing and all that kind of stuff. So, so there is that element to it, but it sounds like the people that you're hooked up with are, are tremendously supportive and at least on the side of the artist versus only looking out for that bottom line as just the be all end all of experiences. And, and you know, the negotiations with curtain call didn't take very long. It was like just to make sure that everything was good on both parties. But, um, you know, I think if you have to refer back to a contract, when you talk to a label, that's not the relationship you want. And whenever I talk to the curtain call team, it's, it's always just about, you know, the band and and getting the music out there um yeah it's just having that support team is like the most critical thing and i i I will always keep saying that because i don't want i don't want to see younger artists taking a a bad contract because they were so infatuated with like getting signed and the funny thing is to get signed is to try not to get signed (laughs) like that is just the reality i know it's so cliche you look it up on google and they're always like the trick is they discover you and that is literally how it is i did not approach curtain call and I didn't approach the other labels that I talked to. It was always they approached me or I knew someone and then they gave the music to them. Okay. So that's just the reality of it. Um, I mean, we could talk about my marketing plan that what I did to get signed. I don't know if, if you want to get into detail with that, but yeah, man, go for it. Yeah. So um, the, the most important thing is just getting out there even on social media. Social media is the cheapest because it's free, right? free advertisement. And so if you're developing good content, people will notice it. I mean, 
my uh, social media was when I started, I maybe had like three followers. It was like my Carrera and because I was at the studio. <laughs> yeah, you were at the studio. And so, and so he's like, I forget, I forget why I started Instagram. But anyway, so then I started putting music out and it just grew from one to I don't even know what I'm at. I think I'm close to 2000 now. And uh, but on the there, on the musician side, it's like I never really cared what people thought of what I was doing. So there's two ways to think about it. There's business side and then there's the artist side. And and for me, I believe what I'm doing is the right pathway for me. And if people don't like it, I don't care. And if people do like it, then it grows. That's just how it is. And so I just don't want I never wanted to be like a TikTok star that did something viral. Like, you know, you see so many a varieties of ways people are getting views on TikTok. I don't even like TikTok to be honest. I've never been on TikTok. Yeah, I, I save yourself. I don't know how to TikTok. I I don't even know how to watch TikTok. I <laughs> I feel I'm very old, Brad. In case you haven't noticed, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not with the times anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, because you were a musician when I was a kid. Yeah. So that was like your culture, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like to go to shows. You'd go to local shows and mm-hmm. support bands. Um that I don't feel like I have that anymore. I feel like um, you have that small group that likes uh, we're pop punk for anyone who doesn't listen to our music. But like I would have to play pop pop punk shows with other pop punk bands to get that fan. Base. Sure. Yeah. It's not just like, hey, let's go to a show. Um, and whoever's playing is playing and you might yeah. get random so, people thrown on a bill together. Yeah, it's kind of sad because uh, the one thing I didn't like was they were focusing like uh, we had a manager at a time that was just solely like you need to get your social media numbers up. You need to get to one million views. I was like, how am I supposed to do that? Well, the pandemic hit. So I had a lot of time on. My yeah. Hands, so I actually did. Get <laughs> I think to you achieved that. I, yeah. I remember seeing some yeah, numbers. So, like, sucks because I didn't want to do covers all the time, but it worked and, and I just played the game. Um, but that is the new music industry, unfortunately. It's not like going to shows where you have that weird guy with Ray-Ban sunglasses standing in the back of the venue, just like nodding their head and they approach you and they say like, hey, we're from Warner. We're interested in your music. It's like, well, what are your numbers before we even talk? And it's like, can we just like focus on music? So I hope that changes. I don't want that. I don't think about all the acts that are out right now that are not going to get discovered because they don't do social media. Yeah. Like it's I, it, from an artist perspective, I don't think that's the right approach, but that's what I had to do to get a record deal. And, um, you know, we'll see how that turns out. It's maybe. good advice. And it's a good revelation kind of, of the reality of, you know, where the industry is. And I, I would say the broader industry being the entertainment industry is rather than simply just music. It's kind of like that with, aspiring writers and actors and artists. Yeah, and- I mean, they all have their own quirks to it. But, you know, w- the music industry itself, you know, artists were getting screwed back then. And I would honestly say if you sign a bad record deal, you're getting screwed more than the artists were getting screwed back in the 90s and the early 2000s. So that's why I always say, you know, hide behind your attorney because, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, it was also, you know, I look at like, for instance, the 80s and the 90s when you were like one um, or not, not or born. zero, like negative yeah. five. I was born uh, in 91 for, any, for anyone <laughs> wants to know. So yes, the, the old timers such as myself, you know, those were the days of the quote unquote big record contracts, right? Yeah. You know, where other than like, for instance, today with hip hop or maybe some, some pop or some, you know, mainstream kind of rock stuff. That was when the labels were throwing massive amounts of money behind acts yeah. and, and where artists made money off of their record contracts. 
now it's, you know, if you happen to go on tour and you make money selling merch, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But, you know, I, I've seen the shift in the industry over the last, say, 30 years or more to really albums not being released as much, singles being released and then s- streamed. And there's the whole controversy with just streaming and, you know, what what artists make per stream and this and that. Some artists make more if they happen to partner with a iHeartRadio or a Spotify. Mm-hmm. Some don't. But, I mean, it's just the whole industry has changed away from simply giving artists massive record labels and, and and now it's just moving into other other avenues that you know yeah. it's got. I mean, and it's weird because I don't even know how record labels make money anymore. Well, it's through Spotify still, but the 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 hard part is um, so there's an an advantage and a disadvantage to um, being signed and being independent. So being independent, you can get your music everywhere. Back then, you would have to sign to a record label because it was expensive to put CDs out. So that's one advantage. The The disadvantage for the record labels and independent artists is that there's so much music being thrown in there. And now you have to cut through all that noise to stand out. Yeah. And um, hopefully you write good songs. I don't ever claim that I write good songs, but I hope Brad that writes they good cut. songs. Everybody. Well, I'm just saying like realistically, <laughs> you know, like we could flop. I'm fully aware of that. I don't think that we're going to live in mansions next year, but you have to cut through that noise. And so, you know, back then you'd put, you would go to radio, you would play shows and that's the way to do it. Yeah. Now it's like Spotify playlists. It's like now Demons is on a ton of playlists, which is rad. Like it's cool to see that. But that would have never been my marketing strategy if I did this on my own. Yeah. I would have never been like, we need to get on like 50 Spotify playlists and pray that people will listen to it. Like the curtain call people just know what to do, know, know where to hit, which cities to hit. Like we have this whole marketing discussion and I'm sitting there and like, yeah, that sounds good. Like <laughs> here's, yeah, here's the MP3 do. or whatever. You know. So <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's kind of cool to see how that works. Cause I am learning. Like I always, I always try to learn as much as possible. And, and so to see the way they're, they're marketing, I'm getting a few tips from it. I do like having a label push it cause I kind of get to sit back, you know, and just kind of watch but I, I always want to just keep learning about the music industry. So Yeah, and you know, the other element uh, of that also, as far as you mentioned cutting through tape, is as technology has gotten better, I mean, shit, you can record everything yourself. You know, there's yeah, no absolutely. need necessarily. You don't really I mean, need a studio. You don't need a studio. I mean, the, the big studios are great, and some people obviously still use them that have those resources and want very specific parameters and things like that. But the average home musician can now make a full release on their own and yeah, have I mean, it sound fantastic. Demons was cut in a room that's 10 by 10, yeah. 10 by 10 feet. Well, and let's talk about Demons because, you know, we, yeah. we've we dropped the name on this a million times. So this is the first officially released single through Curtain Call. Through a curtain call. Yeah. And it's a re-release because we did it independently, but nobody listened to it, <laughs> which is okay because, I mean, that's what you do, right? Yeah. So when So how long had this song been out before it had been picked up by Curtain Call? So I'm, I'm going off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure we pushed it out in October near Halloween. And uh, and then when we got the Curtain Call deal, I'm like, of Yo, 2022? 2022, okay, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so... When we got the curtain call deal, I'm like, hey, uh, no one listened to the song. <laughs> Can we like push this again? And he's like, yeah, it's a great song. So they did it. And now just seeing that what they've done, it's like now more people listen. I, I, I actually done a couple of interviews for magazines yeah. or like online magazines 
Uh, and I'm sure there are more to come our way and more than happy to answer questions about it. But yeah, it's just like, it's amazing to see a song that from my eyes, no one really cared about to now people are caring about. And it. you didn't do anything different. You didn't re-record it. Mm-hmm. You didn't remaster no, it, remix it, nothing. Yeah. It just really said, hey, here it is again. This time, pay attention to it. Yeah. And the funny thing is we, so on the other songs, I would send it to like a mastering person or, um, yeah, or just finalize like the mix with mastering. But this time I'm like, I'm going to make this song as cheap as possible. <laughs> like I'll buy a plug in if I need it. So I got like this mastering plug in to, to kind of help master it. And so, yeah, I literally did everything on that song just to save money. You recorded it all, all the parts. Your, was This yeah, is I, all you. I, on I played everything. Song. Yeah. I recorded everything. I mixed everything. I mastered everything. So Curtain Call just had to to just promote slap it. their name on it and promote it well and yeah and and the thing is like i'm i'm proud to wear that badge you know i i i went into a record or negotiating a contract to thinking like oh man you know these people are gonna try to screw me over but that was never the case with curtain call it's just he's a music fan he knows his his shit and he uh released it and I, I in my opinion i think he did it really well i don't know if they're just sitting back it's like eh, it did all right yeah you know? but you know, it's I for me as a musician, I think it did. Uh, so and then, yeah. So tell me about the song Demons. Then what's this one about? Uh, well, I made noises on a voice memo and then I just put lyrics to it. <laughs> I'm not even making that up. It took me like 20 minutes to um, write the song, the melody and, and the lyrics. It took me about six hours to record it all. Um, but the song is essentially just about being in a bad relationship. And uh, I don't. I, I feel like this is going to bite me in the ass, but 90% of my songs don't really mean anything to me. You know, I, I think that the melody is what I care about. I want something that you'll get caught in your head. Like that's to me more important than this song is about a relationship that I was like, you know, I, I am uh, bothered they're not, by. They're not necessarily yeah. personal experience. They're not songs. personal experiences, but I just like writing songs that could potentially be hits. Like yeah. that's my addiction as a musician. And I we I don't know if this is a compliment or not, but every time we play that song, someone will walk up to me, even even if it's one or two people, they'll walk up to me after we play it and they always say, Hey, this song sounds really commercial. And I'm like, <laughs> is that a compliment? Is that bad? Like and uh, you know, my goal is to always make a song sound like it could be on radio. Yeah. Uh, obviously we are on radio now, so that's right. cool. But that was that was the way that I visioned less than three. And and a lot of musicians or artists will think that it's not the right approach. You know, a lot of people want things to sound more real. I wanted everything to sound more radio like that was the the approach musically. Well, and, you know, three. you and I, the last time you were on, we, we talked about that a little bit where, you know, you do have when you approach your songwriting, you do have kind of a formula that you like to start with in the sense of, yeah, that song you know. is all formula. <laughs> you I know. mean, I'm sure if you list like, so I wrote that song in the summer ish of last year. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to what it was a 2019, I did that podcast. Mm-hmm. If I, I'm sure I said verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, three minutes and 30 seconds. So <laughs> now it cut down to three minutes. So I had to cut down the, the second chorus. Oh, so, shit. So, yeah, so just demons kinda... is like two minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah. So, uh, you're getting into Ramones territory there. Yeah, well, that's the cool thing because all the punk bands that I loved were writing two-minute songs already. <laughs> so it's just less stuff for me to write and make sure that it's worth being in the song. So I think it worked to our advantage. It's just that, um, yeah, it's weird because like those are the things that I focus on. And most musicians focus on like writing this time frame of art where they're like, this is how I express myself. Me, I'm like, 
Uh, yeah, it's too long. Uh, we need to cut like a chorus down or something or cut oh, this man. bridge. Man, if you had been my record producer back in the day, you'd have hated me so much because <laughs> like, uh, so this song is 11 minutes and 47 seconds with no choruses and no bridges. But that's your art, you know, <laughs> like I would, I would, I would respect that if you're like, this is what we want to sound like. It's yeah. just, but yeah, I tend, I tend to get fired from producing projects when I tell them <laughs> to cut the songs down. So. That's amazing. Well, let's talk about that super badass video for Demons. Now, for those of you that don't know yet, Brad and I have a very long history and, and some of it kind of centers around video games because I, I worked for a place that you might say stop for games uh, but for many years. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I got to know Brad and his uh, brother Byron um, many, many, many moons ago. But um, so we are we are fans of, of video games. And so this video for demons is very old school aesthetic feeling. It's got a 2D side scroller, Mario, Castlevania, Sonic kind of a vibe. Yeah. Maybe ghost, ghosts and goblins or ghouls and ghosts or something. But uh-huh. uh, it's just got that really awesome 2D aesthetic that I absolutely love. So I'm glad you liked it. I, I fucking yeah. I love it. Whose idea was that? So my wife's. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, because she actually makes a lot of the decisions because I don't care about a lot of things when it comes to like aesthetics my you know? wife who was sitting across the room just looked at me and nodded and was like makes all the decisions uh, huh? yeah if you're, if you're in a healthy marriage ten, your wife is generally gonna have the right answer and, love you baby yeah i love michelle too i hope she listens to this but she probably won't because she doesn't care um no <laughs> so no, we were talking so we were gonna do a full music video but we had a hard time coordinating everyone and we knew Demons was going to be released in May. So we had a window of two months to potentially get a video done. And so I was like, you know what? We don't have a lot of money anyway. So why don't we just find someone who can do like a a retro style? We were actually, actually, I take that back. My wife and I were looking at lyric videos and we came across just some ideas and then we saw some, uh, they call it pixel art. Mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, let's do something that's nostalgic because pop punk is really like, Early, uh, late nine or I would say nineties, early two thousands. They're when playing it like, on classic rock stations. Yeah, now, so is- I guess I'm writing classic rock music, <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully it comes back. But you know, pop punk is one of those things that you know it it disappears and it comes back, and I'm I'm hoping our timing is right. But so I wanted to do something that was that meant to me. Obviously, I love playing video games. That's how we know each other, right? And so I we basically discussed like, what do we want in the video? We wanted something like Mario. We wanted something like street fighter. Mm. I was like, I got to do a Hadouken. Got to have some fucking that boss. Was, fights I was like, that, I told the the animator, <laughs> I'm like, you got to put a Hadouken in there. Like I made that the mo- most important thing for me. And so he did, but yeah. And so we just wanted something simple. It didn't, it, it didn't have to coordinate with anybody. We just had these concepts and they made it a video. And, um, I'm actually really happy with how it came out for for being in like a tiny band. You're in a video game now, but I, I mean, your your avatar, bummed. your little avatar, I was like, that looks just like you. Well, I know that's the cool <laughs> thing. It's just I can't actually play that game, so because it's animated. But yeah, so I was really happy with it, and uh, the label loved it. They thought it was a great idea, and it's just that that uh, nostalgic factor, you know, that we wanted to bring. Yeah, um, because that's kind of like what we did growing up. I played super nintendo and listen to pop punk music so uh we'll we'll see if that was a good marketing uh strategy but it could it could backfire and no one cares and so how long did it take for that that video to actually get produced about a month because we had to we had to pay an animator and and 
you know, obviously agree to it. But he started out building like the stages and the characters. And then I had to prove that and like, you know, change the hair. This doesn't look like me kind of thing. <laughs> and then he's like, OK, so we we approved the assets. And then he spent about a week and a half or probably a week. Uh, a week uh, just animating it and they sent it to us and we were like, uh, we had one revision. Uh, it said demons on the backdrop of the stage, but I said we should make it less than three because that's the band name. So that's oh, the only okay, change we yeah. had, but everything else he, he killed and, and it wasn't even an issue, but that's how it came together. And uh, while we were doing that, we were mark- we were trying to figure out a marketing plan. And when I say we, Curtain Call's doing it and I'm just sitting on a phone call <laughs> saying, yeah, that sounds cool. Sounds great. Yeah. So that's just really how it came together. I, I honestly don't know when the next single is going to come out. Um, I think they're pushing demons for another couple months. So yeah. It seems to be getting some some good traction. So yeah, I, mean, I haven't seen the Spotify numbers. I should find that that out soon. But I know that the when the the music video released, we got to like fifteen hundred views right away, yeah. which is way more than what I could have done. Uh, I know it's small relatively, but for how big less than three is, I would say it was a success, and I'm really happy with that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I suppose now that we've talked it up so much, we should probably shut up and play it already. So here's Bradley Miranda and Less Than Three with their first single released by Curtain Call Records. This one's called Demons. I don't want to wait for the different ways to torture me. I don't want to think about how I'm not the right one. One wrong move. And you'll make me lose I don't even know why you're cruel And nothing lasts forever Yes, you and I together So I'll continue to say I know that you don't love me And every plea I make it's time for apologies
music video, another possible new single on the horizon, new record contract, which tells me that there's an album due of sorts. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I so that's the that's the hard part because I don't know I don't know what's smart, and obviously I'll talk with the team. But is it smarter to put an EP out? Is it smarter to put a single out? I don't know. I do have new music just like waiting in the queue to release, like in the but vault. Yeah, it's go. just like sitting there, and uh, I just got to figure. We just got to figure out a marketing plan for it because that's another thing with the new industry. Singles are more important than albums, right? So like you don't want to write four songs that are really solid potential singles and you only promote one of those singles. So yeah. it, it just kind of depends on how the vibe goes. I think if we were like Green Day, you would put an album out, which we're not. But bands like Green Day would put an album out and people would listen to it. So I think that is uh, something to consider as well. It's all it's all about marketing. And, uh, you know, I want to remind those musician people that, you know, when you are working in the music business, the music part is not even that important. It's like how you get the music to the listener. Sure. So that's what we focus on. You know, I've got several several friends and several bands all over the world, and a lot of them have bypassed entirely the full album concept, and they're just releasing EPs every six months. It's not a bad idea. You it's know. cheaper. It's um, it gets you, and now you're only putting out four to five songs that are really good instead of trying to fill a record. We call them filler songs. It's sure, a producer term. If you have four hits and then you write five crappy songs and you just put it on a record, <laughs> no, it's true. Like you can think of, I think about how many records where you're like, I really like the first four songs, but then the rest of the record is not that. Not great. a fan of the B side. Yeah, and that was back when during the CD days, where you know people were buying albums to get one song. Yeah. It's not that anymore. Could you imagine if the record label, uh, instead of letting Napster take over, if they created Spotify before Napster came out? Mm. Could you imagine if they were ahead of the game? Yeah. But they were making so much money making CDs. That's why it failed. Yeah. They knew they had all the 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 ability to create that technology. It's just. They let the Napster do it. You know, and, and I i mean, I have fully now, being as how I'm involved in it, and I talk to people every day, and I, I realize now the reasons why things are how they are. I've embraced the digital technology, but I am still a fan of the physical. So I am mm -hmm. totally that guy that will buy a CD for one or two great But that's songs. what we grew up in. Yeah. That's, that's what we knew. We would buy CDs just based on the album cover looking cool. Yeah. <laughs> And like kids today won't even realize that's what we did. And the fun of it, you know, open up those liner notes, read the thanks list. Yeah, I mean, there's how many there? records am I on that I produce that I'm not even like Ugh, visually not even seen mentioned as the producer, in there, yeah. you know? And it's just one of those things that you have to accept. It's the new way of, of consuming music. And, you know, I could go on all about the music industry because that's, I just, that's what I do on my free time. If right. I'm not doing less than three, I'm studying like law. I don't plan on being a lawyer, but I want to understand uh, contracts. And then I also study the marketing part and on like public relations and knowing all of that. God, you're a fucking nerd. You're just yeah, like, dude. So I don't watch Netflix shows. Like when people are like, "Did you watch this?" I'm like, mm. "Like, no, yeah, I studied contract law." I watched the guy repair a Gibson headstock neck like the headstock <laughs> broke, and it's like a 40 minute video. I'm just watching. Like that's my entertainment. It's yeah. weird. I'm a weird dude. You're just all, you're just absorbed. In, in this whole, every element to the music industry from the entertainment side of it to the production side of it to the, you know, mechanical manufacturing side of it with the microphones and the cables and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, 
I just love music and I love anything that deals with audio. Yeah. And that's just my hobby. Like even if nobody knew that, that I'd be doing that anyway. Yeah. So. And, and, and that's, you know, going back to, you know, when, when you and I reconnected some years ago and then you had invited me out to do watch a couple of sessions uh, at the monkey trench. And it was really cool because that was for me, that was my learning experience and kind of watching all that stuff happen. But I didn't realize the depths to which you really put your hands on every element of everything that you were working with. So I I just Uh, thought that was really cool. So as a recording engineer and producer, uh, both roles are, you know, intertwined, but you're responsible for that band, uh, final product so if you give them something crappy they're going to be upset they spent money on it and so you know there's the art part that as a producer that's you what you focus on and then as an engineer you have to focus on the aesthetic part like are you capturing this piece of art correctly and so that's why i'm a boring guy because that's all i do is study both (laughs) aspects like i watch microphone videos of people you know people which is the best? What's better than the SM58? Doesn't really matter, dude. An SM58 will get the job done. It's not my favorite vocal mic, right? But for some reason, I gotta watch four other brands that have thought they created the best version of the SM58, and that's just what I'm into. You know? Okay, so since we're going down this road, this is a rabbit hole, guys, and you can <laughs> you can you know fucking love it or leave it. But so one brand of microphone that you really turned me on to was Advanced Audio. Yeah. Um, who I've become a big fan of and I have yet to own any of their products, but it's on my horizon. But I, I, I like the fact that, you know, they take kind of these core, uh, for lack of legendary microphones or and, and the capsules and, you know, they take these generic housings, if you will, and then mm-hmm. they build realistic facsimiles with their own flavor to it of these mics for fractions of the cost that sound phenomenal Mm -hmm. and i would have never really dug into how that worked had it not been for you telling me about a company yeah so i mean i couldn't afford a real telefunken 251 or 250 or some of those ten thousand dollars ten thousand dollars and so he built it you know he built a a clone for about a thousand dollars that's that's what i use on the vocals for all of my recordings, but specifically demons, that was an advanced audio clone that I, that I sung into. And I think it's, I think it sounds great. Like not my voice. I don't think my voice sounds great when I listen back, but just like the way it captured it. Nobody likes the way their voice sounds. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, I, there was a guy at a show. He's like, you know, you remind me of this band. And I'm like, as long as I sound whiny, you're probably right. So, I mean, (laughs) what was the, what was the name of that? That album, that first uh, sounds like a girl. Sounds like a girl. Oh man, that was like when we weren't even taking the band seriously. Do you have that record? I don't. I oh don't. man, I, I you know I wonder how many are floating around Kissap County because we use the little stamp to put the the cover on it. You know, right. on the CD. I wonder if all of those are just like peeling off now. Like, yeah, you buy the little label kit. Yeah, the label kit. That's what we used to do it because we were so <laughs> then you'd broke. put them in your CD player. And it would get hot and the label would melt off and you'd yeah, never get that get CD back out. Yeah, it jammed in there. And so, I, dude, honestly, I don't even think I have any of those. So Man. if we ended up becoming really big, if anyone still has that EP, like that's that would be like... A, did it even exist? Yeah, in physical format. It did format. exist. Yeah, people yeah. bought that record. Yeah, It's amazing that people paid five bucks for that because I don't think it's some of my best work. That's when we were trying to be like a joke band. Okay. 
And once again, going back to my wife, she's like, you need to take this seriously. Because I'd write about like farts and stuff. Like there's one song. And, uh, I It was so. See, it was, baby, it does happen. I'm telling well, you. Well, I'm just. My point is we we were just like, I wanted to write jokes, you know. And so. Uh, and then when the label people started talking, I'm like, I should probably take this seriously. Yeah. You know? And we're not like Blink-182. I know that's their thing, but. I just want you know, when we were getting the opportunities to be on a label, I was like, you know, maybe I should step up my game and actually try to write something that people can groove to. Mm. And uh, I feel like we did that because when we started playing shows, we saw more people coming up on stage and dancing, like that kind of thing. And when we were singing about farts, like people were just like, <laughs> it's, it's all right. Yeah, that's you cool. Know? I mean, like all the dudes are out there like, yeah. They thought know. it was funny. Yeah, the women was great. Did. They were, they, yeah. they weren't having it. So... You know, it, it is funny, though, how, you know, when you're young and you have all these ideas and, and you know, you're you're so just wrapped up in your own head about what you want to project. And ah, I don't want to be taken so seriously. And, you know, Blink-182 is a, a, a great example of a band that has some serious chops, but they never tended to take themselves so seriously that they yeah. couldn't leave out, you know, funny lyrics or humor or stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, MXPX, for instance, you know, um, I do like, was it Plans Within Plans? You know, they had some songs on there that referenced things like sneaking into the county fair, yeah. you know, things like that, that you, you can kind of associate with and identify. So it's funny, but at the same time, they're based on some real experiences, which I, yeah, I always and, really appreciated. Yeah. And so uh, obviously, Mike, I would give him a lot of credit to, uh, if you think I'm talented, if you think I'm talented, it, a lot of it go- comes from him because uh, when I was recording MXPX or even just watching i learned so much from how to produce a song sure um you know i think there are some things that mike and i see differently but that's a a creative difference which is fine sure um but yeah he was when i would drum for clients like he was harsh on me and in a good way (laughs) at the time i'm like dude i don't want to be here anymore but then i look back on it it's like wow he really dialed me into a click because i'm actually a drummer for anyone who doesn't know i'm actually a drummer and then i play guitar second guitar is my second instrument believe it or not and so, uh, yeah, he just made me, he made me dialed in. And I, I honestly credit him for a lot of the, the improvements that I made as a musician to him. Like yeah. he just taught me so much. And that album sounds phenomenal, by the way. Yeah, I didn't do anything really other than like record a couple of bass lines. <laughs> but yeah, it did turn out really well. It's, yeah, definitely. Uh, when It Comes to You, I think, is a song that I, I like quite a bit. Another rabbit hole that is probably not a fan favorite, but I really like the is that one the one with the guitar riff? Yeah, yeah, it has okay, a really cool remember, kind of yeah. a like the the fifths I think. Yeah, the yeah. Cool, I remember. Yeah, that. I just really like how the guitars sound on that. And there's some parts of it that have kind of like that pop punk vibe to it. But then there's other parts that have like an almost where it starts to maybe sound a little bit more metal. I was like, oh, this song kind of goes in different directions. It's I really amazing like it. that record came out what like ten years ago. Man, I don't know. It's probably that's when I started like learning yeah. how to record. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, it's been a long time. Like I've, I've been involved in the music industry in various ways and I'm just like trying to explore as much as I can. Cause when I was there, I was just the recording engineer Sure. and then I started producing bands obviously, but yeah. now I'm like the artist. So I get to see both and I, it's weird because, uh, as a recording engineer, you get shit on a lot, <laughs> you know? So like, because that's what you do is you run pro tools, right? Right. And even as a producer, it's like, well, what what do you have to that can uh, make you the boss of my art, you know? And so now I have both. So hopefully that gives me more street cred. 
but uh, we'll see. <laughs> well, and I mean, obviously you still, you know, you still freelance on the side and, uh, well, you know, our, our, our mutual friend, uh, Linda Nicole Blair. Yep. We just uh, finished her record. You just finished her record. February, I think, yeah. Roughly around there. And, uh, so, and she's going to be here, um, sometime in the next, uh, you know, month or so. So again, um, you, you guys have kind of taken over the Misery Point Radio Studios a few times now. It's, uh, yeah. well, we like being here. Oh, we just like the house. Yeah. That's what it is. And the, <laughs> And, and the, the view and the beer that you don't drink. I don't drink beer, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I'm not there yet. Maybe give give me like five years in the industry, and maybe I'll become an alcoholic. Yeah, then he's 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 working mentally. He's preparing. He's working up to the alcoholism. Yeah, there not, you go. Right now, he's just sucking down copious amounts of coffee. That's all I do. Um, but yeah, so it, it's cool that you still have your your hands kind of uh, you know involved in her projects and other projects, and so I still. I remember when you had left kind of, uh, you know, the monkey trench and you were off kind of doing other things. And I was like, man, I really hope that Brad still is able to work on some projects here and there. That's funny you said that because when I left and it wasn't like a like a bitter. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But when I left, like I didn't touch guitars and play drums like I just played video games and. Well, I assume that there was a level of burnout just from the amount of work you were yeah, doing. Yeah, I mean, I was working all the time and uh, editing can take a toll on you. Mm. And so whenever I talk to like uh, some of the engineers that I know, uh, Jesse Lawson has a studio oh. from he was in Sleeping with Sirens. And now he's in the, what, the band Lemon or something uh, so like he's that. So he's just recording. He's got a studio down in uh, Reading. And so when I talk to him, he's like, you know, I'm so tired from editing. And I'm like, now you know how I felt when you, <laughs> when you just produced. Because when you're a producer, you're working on the songs. As an editor, you're like Pro Tools all the time. And uh, so it can take a toll on you. It stresses you out. It's a lot of work. And um, But anyway, so going back to it, like to go back to the whole Billy Joe thing, I wasn't doing anything music related. And then uh, my wife, I was, I was playing Call of Duty, one of the Call of Duties <laughs> or something. And my wife goes, you need to like post a cover or something like do something different i'm like i don't want to so i did that that uh the long shot which is billy Joe's side project right but that's what he reposted and i'm like hmm, maybe i could potentially have a career in the music industry again so that's one of the things you know you, you'll feel like you want to quit and then there are times when you feel like you're really inspired to to go for it and that's just it's a roller coaster ride really you know i mean I probably there's a couple of times where I thought I didn't want to do less than three when I was dealing with all of the managers and the labels because sure. it's a lot of stress. And um, but, you know, you take some time off, like either go for a walk or even just take like five days off of not doing music. And then you're refreshed and you think and you're inspired again. And so uh, I haven't fully left yet, I guess <laughs> I, I like disappeared for a little bit and sure. then I came back. Plus the money's good when you're a recording engineer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I could, I was like, hmm, I can make some extra money or I could just sit and play Call of Duty for the fifth time. And then you the make, fifth version and then you make the extra money, Brad, but then what do you do with it? But you buy another guitar. There you go. I <laughs> uh, dude, I have so many Gibsons. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And, 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 and I think a lot of people would think that I have money, but it's just bad choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah, this is really what it comes down to. I like collecting guitars, though. And and to be fair, my wife is the one who buys all the guitars because they'll come in a cool color. And she's like, this would look good. No, this I'm would not look good on the wall. Yeah. Do you exactly. have a cool wall display or are they all in cases like piled up? Uh, in a so corner I have somewhere? a couple guitars in closets that yeah. I feel bad. They're like the ones that I don't like as much. Then I got a few that are hanging in various parts of the house. And then I have a guitar boat where I have it filled. So that's the reason why I started hanging out or hanging around the house is because I was running out of space. So, yeah. Talk about my shame. 
Yeah. No shame in, in having a bunch of cool gear that collects dust. I mean, you really only need one guitar, though. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, one guitar is really all you need. But I'm like, I need to have five different colors of the same guitar. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I draw the line. Like, for me, like having different guitars is cool. But if it's the same guitar that just looks different, I, I, I'm not sure I'm there. But uh, now you're a Les Paul guy. So I, yes, but I, I do have a couple. Paul Reed Smith guitars, but okay. Les Pauls are my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And, or and Les Paul Juniors. Juniors I have the most of. Yeah. And they're usually all of the Billy Joe signature guitars, sadly. Yeah. yeah I'm a total fanboy. It's kind of sad. But um, yeah, I, I generally stick with like Les Pauls. Yeah. That's what I use on the records. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're recording your stuff now, here's a here's a super techie question for you. Cause um, I mean, the advent of things like, you know, Kempers yeah. has really changed, I think, the recording industry actually quite a bit. You know, people aren't really micing guitar cabs anymore. I mean, when you're recording your stuff, are you just DIing it through Kempers for the most Kemper, part? Kemper recordings, Kemper live. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I don't have to break my back anymore to carry like a 4x12 or 4x10 or anything like that. And uh, it sounds great. That's all I cared about. You know, I used to be like anti two. I probably said this on the podcast last time, but I or I used to be anti digital and I was all tube. Right. And when the Kempers came out, I'm like, okay, that actually sounds pretty good. And it's I have the pedal board version. I have two Kempers actually. I have the the one that came out that looks like a lunchbox, and then I end up buying the um, pedal the profiler board, board. Yeah, because I was playing with Amber Pacific, so we would do flyouts, and I didn't want to. I wanted the pedal board, but easy to carry. I didn't want to carry like the head and then the separate pedal board. Yeah, it's all consolidated. So when we'd fly out, it was a lot easier. I don't have to rent amps or anything like that, and it sounds great. And you know, some people are are going to be purists, and that's fine if you like the full tube sound. But when you're um, traveling through an airport you want to go as small as you can yeah. as light as possible. So, well, and I'm I've had this conversation now a million times, but I mean, I, I love tube amps, mm -hmm. but you know, I had to, a couple of years ago, I retubed a, a Mesa 290, mm -hmm. eight tubes in it, of course. Yeah. And you know, it's expensive to retube them, but those fuckers were always going out and, you know, playing live shows. If a tube goes out, that sucks. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, one battery goes out on your pedal board and like all your pedals are screwed. Just so yeah. irritating. Well, and, and, and that's exactly why I got tired <laughs> of like having to worry about that. Tube, tube, tube heads are heavy. Yeah. Like a 50 watt or a hundred watt orange. Like that's what, that's Weighs my like profile. 70 pounds. Yeah. And it's like the Kemper is like 10, you know? And so if you're a purist and you have the bandmates to help you carry that stuff on stage, by all means do it. Bandmates. I, I love tube amps. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, I love tube amps. It's just that uh, I think that Kemper and, and all the other brands really like Axe Effects and Line 6 have done an amazing job to yeah. make that tube sound. So it's like I don't need to carry all that stuff. I just want to travel light. I'm getting old, surprisingly. I may not look like it, yeah. but my back hurts most Brad's, of the days. Brad's almost 20. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll take that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, that's awesome. Now you you mentioned uh, so orange, so that's that's the core of your current guitar sound. Yeah, is based so off. If, not to get technical on the Demon song again, but it was just an orange rocker verb with yeah. two different guitars. I have uh, a Gibson Les Paul Custom that I used on one side, and I believe I used my PRS McCarty on the right, but it was all one amp, and it was like five guitar tracks. Like I went crazy on it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I I just 
it's the best. It's so easy. Like I honestly, it kind of ashamed to say this. I don't even remember how to mic a guitar. <laughs> like that's how much I don't <laughs> mic anymore. It's just, it's so easy. It's an XLR cable directly into the interface. I don't have to worry about noise around the house. Like it's yeah. just, that's it. You know, it's just an XLR cable and it's good. Yeah. And so and you don't uh, have to worry about somebody like bumping the mic off axis yeah, or I mean, tripping if you, over if you your move, guitar then cable. You got to redo it all over because it sounds different. So right. I don't ever have to worry about that. I just dial in the tone. I save it. And that's that's the sound. And I'm happy. You know, that's really all that matters. Yeah. That's all that matters is Brad's happiness for my music, not for, <laughs> not for anyone else's. You do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> so getting back then to kind of uh, the less than three stuff. So then what's what's next on the horizon? I mean, you've got you've got the contract. You've got the single. I assume there's another single coming out here sometime within the next few months, maybe so, after Demons runs its yeah, course on the I, airwaves. I was planning on playing a bunch of shows, but then when we took the curtain call contract, I was like, why don't we just put out a single first and see how well it does? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that if we did a show now, we'd probably have more than 20 people instead of playing the show in front of like one people. Yeah. Mike Peacock. <laughs> uh, just like, hey, that Kepper sounds great. Like, Man. you know, those kinds of shows. <laughs> sounds we, just like a rocker verb. Yeah. And so I think we're going to play more shows. You know, and like I said, you know, we need to focus on expanding our fan base. Like, I don't have these false uh, impressions that we have fans. Like, I, we still have to work on our local scene. Um, but you never know now that we're national, maybe we play a show in Chicago and 300 people show up. Yeah. But then we, when we play in Port Orchard or Seattle, it's like five people. So it, it's nice to see uh, the numbers in different cities. So, uh, yeah, we're basically just going to follow the trail of popularity. And it's not it's not like for our egos, it's cost. You know, is it worth our time to go out to the city to play a show? Sure. If 300 people are coming out, that might cover plane tickets and the hotel and at least some food. But uh, that's really the direction. And a lot of it is just watching what happens. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe all of a sudden we're huge in Seattle and we could sell at the show box. We would do it. So it's just kind of just watching where the music is going and how it's being consumed, I think, is the most critical thing. Um, but yeah, there's like a basically, to sum up, a kind of plan and no plan. That's really what it is. Okay. So that was Brad's intentional vagueness. Well, <laughs> like you know as much as I do what's going to happen next. So. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's a it's a crapshoot, and in, in just just with uh, other people being involved now, besides you know just yourself wanting to do what you want to do, you've got some obligations to you know labels or you know promoters. I, you just did that uh, show in Oregon here. Yeah, uh, that was our that was our uh, rec or uh, signing party, and it was an acoustic show, and and we met a lot of great people. We played with uh, Trevor Hanks. Um, and really good singer. Hey, who's in a tooth and nail band? I can't even remember which band. Uh, he was tooth in. and nail, for those yeah. of you guys who don't know, is uh, where MXPX first got signed to back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah. And so he was on that label when he was like a teenager. And so we played an acoustic show. It was it was good. Um, I want to focus on developing a bigger fan base uh, locally. So like Kitsap County. Uh, I think the last time we played Manette, we had maybe sixty people. Like I want, I want that to keep growing. Yeah, and and I want the shows to get bigger because then it's that's more just fun. sixty of Brad's family packed. No, into I didn't know room. anyone there. <laughs> I don't have any friends to be honest. So uh, random people. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so like that's the goal. It's just to keep 
doing what I'm doing, it's it's no different than being an unsigned band. It's just you have a support team. Sure. And that's really all I wanted uh, when we signed. Yeah. And is there anything specifically booked right now or is that stuff still just kind of in the no, works? Well, I sent a I, I sent a couple emails out that I'm talking with a couple booking agents, but I want to do a show in Seattle soon now that Demons is out. And so that should happen, I'm hoping, within the summertime and then any other shows that just come our way. I do want to play a show in Portland at some point, but I think really just focusing on the local area because one is easy to drive to. You sure. know, me driving the Bremerton is 15 minutes or Seattle's an hour. So we just want to expand that and, and grow outwards, outwards. And then if there are any other cities that really have a big demand for us, We'll come out there. It's you should fun. write a song called Drive to Bremerton as opposed to Move to Bremerton. And I think it <laughs> I think, would have. I think Mike would sue me if I did that. <laughs> it yeah. would have tremendous impact on your crowd. Actually, I don't think Mike would be upset if I did that. <laughs> it's not I'm, the same. I'm seeing, I'm seeing him on Friday because I'm going to come hang out at the studio. So I'll ask him. Oh, right on. See what he says. Yeah. He'd be like, um, cease and desist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or he'll be like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. So what else then? We've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, obviously, we know what's what's going on with you currently. Is there anything that, that uh, I may have forgotten? Anything you want to plug? Um, yeah. I mean, so I get this question a lot because when we announced that we got signed, like my Instagram messages exploded with, mm. how do you get signed? Yeah. And, you know, I said it earlier and I'm just going to say it again for, for ease of access to this podcast. You know, don't try to get a record deal. That yeah. is literally it and have a good attorney and hide behind them. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, shady record labels and managers and, and bad deals out there. If you don't know what you're signing, don't sign it. That's just what I'm going to say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's good advice. Uh, and, and take it from me because I've seen it firsthand, but Brad tends to surround himself with a lot of very influential people in the industry. He's got a lot of contacts and a lot of friends. And, and this, uh, all, all of these experiences that he has had have finally culminated in this project that is clearly doing well at this point. Very well deserved. I'm very stoked for you. This is this is very exciting news. And uh, and I just I, I love talking to you about the stuff that you do because it is genuine from you. Like this is born out of a love of music and not just music, but a love of the craft of putting things together and assembling them and taking them to the levels that other artists don't always take their stuff to. Yeah. I mean, I love being here. I mean, we've known each other for a really long time, so I'm always, I'm always willing to come back. Uh, hopefully we don't sign like a record label at some point where they're like, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, but we'll, we'll always try to be on, on this podcast. Yeah. Speaking of listeners and uh, social media follows and they're like, what's up with this guy's social media? Does he ever do anything on social media? <laughs> I struggle with it because I, I'm the same, like, oh, it's like a necessity, but you know, yeah, like it's, it it's, uh, it's an evil that I have yet to overcome. Um, so, well, that's great, man. Congrats on the, on the record, uh, contract. Congrats Thank on you. the new material. Congrats on sticking it out through all of the hardships of, of the pandemic. Although it, it sounds like you made the most of your time. I don't remember if I said this, but I played a lot of final fantasy. Yeah. So I feel, <laughs> I feel like I spent my time wisely during that time. Cool. So. And uh, you know, the fact that you, you know, more or less were in, in control of the entire, you know, process from start to finish, I think it just really kind of gave you that edge that, you, you know, you had the time and the resources and the ability to really just, just polish every facet of, of what you're doing. I think it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know what your demographics are with like 
age wise, but if you're a young like teenager that wants to get in the music industry, you have all the time in the world to post on social media. Yeah. There should be no excuses, you know. And if so, you're an old fuck like me and uh, don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once you get done taking your seventeen medications for the day, uh and and purging your bowels, then maybe there's time to Dude, I purge my bowels too, so you're not <laughs> the only one. Well, you know, people listen to my content and that makes them purge their there bowels. So that's uh, that's the work. So uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, my good friend Bradley Miranda, less than three. Stay tuned. We're gonna be playing some tunes from him later on in the show and keep your eyes and ears peeled out there on the live circuit and make sure that you follow him on all of the social media platforms, the book of faces, the Instagrams, um, probably the TikToks and the Tweety Twatty place. Do you TikToks do all that I don't care about, but Instagram is probably the easiest way to talk to me. So okay. less than three Brad is my handle. Okay. And uh, that's, yeah, that's really the best place to talk. I don't have like other people responding for me because one, we're broke, but two, <laughs> I actually do like respond. So if you have any questions about the music industry, more than happy to answer that as well. All right. Sounds good, brother. Always an honor and a pleasure to have you here. And uh, we won't wait four years till the next time we do this. All right, dude, I'll talk to you again at some point. I right, see you. Well, there you have it, Minions. Another awesome conversation with a true professional in the music industry. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that Brad truly is a wizard, which is how I came to refer to him as I watched him work his studio magic in action while I was learning how to turn my own knobs and buttons. A very cool, very humble, and very talented dude for sure. Make sure you follow Lesson 3 on all those social media thingies and do the same for me here on Misery Point Radio. Always appreciate the likes, shares, follows, and threats to my life. Going to play you one more tune from Brad and Company to close this one out. Clearly inspired by me, or maybe not. Here's Lesson 3 with I'm the One.
like underwear.